Joel. Welcome back to the Invisible Path. Patrick, here we are. Here we are, man. Beautiful, early, beautiful day. It's early in the morning, and we are we are both scatterbrained a bit. And <laughs> so this is the this is the dedication we have for the Invisible yeah. Path. Yeah, we were talking yeah. we were talking right before we we pressed record that uh, brains brains are scattered, so it'll be a yeah, fun time. Yeah. So right out of the gate, uh, fun time. We got an email from Tommy Pickles, who I believe is a character on Rugrats, who wants to know from you, Joel. Says, Joel, you mentioned a tray you kept at your office that you'd fill with ice and dunk your face into. Did anyone ever walk in on you doing this? And if so, how did that conversation go? Oh, for sure. Uh, I, I, I try not to be that much of an exhibitionist, but for sure. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it was during like, um, the, the real peak of, uh, I don't even know what's happening with Wim Hof these days, but he, there was definitely awareness even by people not really in the biohacking scene that like, Oh, cold showers, cold stuff. That's something good. Um, so people generally, uh, leave me alone that, you know, I mean, some people would want to know what it's about. And, um, really with that, it seems like a shortcut to, to sort of calm down the, the vagus nerve, which travels you know, through your body, um, throughout your body, but you can certainly, uh, send a powerful signal to it to help the rest of your body calm down. If you're just freezing your face, because why in nature would you just be freezing your face? It signals the rest of your body to kind of chill out a bit. Um, so I suppose it was a doorway into um, a larger conversation with people or, a, or conversely, a good signal for them that like, this is not my, this is not my kind of person. This is a weirdo. <laughs> and then that, that was also a very efficient and effective thing too. So it works yeah. both ways. So you want to, <laughs> you want to attract your people and you want to repel, repel other people as well. Um, or at least let them just be repelled. That's fine. Everyone should just self-organize. So, um, you know, I find it, sometimes I find it uh, strange how reserved people are and people don't, people do not really open up all the time. They don't necessarily want to be vulnerable uh, when it comes to sharing what they're about um, on any level, they, they keep fairly closed up. Um, I think that's a natural thing. It's, it's a protective thing. Um, but trying to just push outside of that a little bit, just to share who you are or what you're doing to, to help yourself. And maybe that can help other people. Um, people do not do that enough and, uh, and they keep it to themselves. Um, Life is not as fun when you do that, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, constantly modifying with... for other people is a is a significant yeah. burden. Yeah, it's like that. Um, there's a there's a Beatles song where John, I think it's John says, "Well, you know that it's a fool who plays it cool by making his world a little colder," and that's what people are doing, right? Yeah. Especially today, I suppose, um, but. Try not to do that. Yeah. 
So, so a, a real brief follow up on that. Um, and it goes back to your concept of the inner Yelp reviewer, right? Which is be pushing that little uh, amount of venom of negativity out into the world offers a dopamine hit. And I think we've said this probably directly, but it's just a great reminder. I've been thinking a lot about it this week that you have the exact same opportunity to get the dopamine hit by being kind. Like you can, you can get a dopamine hit by being an a-hole. You could also get a dopamine hit by being a really kind, genuine person to people. And there's just like, instead of making the world a little colder, you can make your world a little warmer and, and also feel good and probably have a, a, sustained, a sustained opportunity to feel good, which may be better. As a as a as a little <laughs> a tinge of a tinge of societal op- optimism from me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's like we talked about before. Like, be a be a big tipper. Like, okay, just it's it's some way to make a connection with someone, or if you know if that's the that's the way you can do it, or just reveal something about yourself to you know soften those edges a little bit, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, okay. Second question comes in from from uh, no, no character name here, which, hey, if you wanna do Rugrats character names, I'm into it. I don't know any of the others, but Tommy Pickles was something that I had to look up because it didn't seem like it was legit. Okay, so question goes in from Marco. It says, guys, I'm starting to think about what 2022 will look like in my life. What are you most excited about? What are you most worried about in your lives right now? Oh, did you want me to answer that? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <clears throat> ah, you know, well, I mean, I, I don't know, for some reason, I'm just because I have like the, the like invisible alien face sucker of the news just stuck on my face and in my brain all the time. I just immediately go to like, what's the political situation going to look like what's the global kind of situation and what's the financial situation and um more chaos like i think people were surprised that 2021 delivered uh even more fantastically than 2020 in a lot of ways when it comes to just general chaos and um i would expect that to continue um i would expect 2024 man if orange man runs for office, it's going to be chaos anyways. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, but so thinking about that stuff makes me feel pretty, uh, pretty powerless, pretty filled with, uh, worries and anxiety. So I try to, uh, in those better moments, focus on what are the goals moving forward? What can I do, uh, for myself and for my family to just keep pushing forward because you can't, I mean, the, the trap that it's so easy to get drawn into because they'd like you to get drawn into it is that you should join the fight. You should become loyal to one side and be the loyal opposition of another side, but it's really not going to um, help you a whole lot in your actual day-to-day life. I don't think. Um, so yeah. So for what I'm worried about, I don't know, just what everyone is seeing and what you can worry about there for excitement. It is just continuing to grow um, various 
side projects. Uh, certainly, you know, Primal Cold and Optimus Red. I'm going to be focusing a lot on those and just seeing how many, uh, seeing how many people I can help with that, and yeah. uh, and then helping helping the family as well. I mean, yesterday, no, it was the day before that. It was Friday night. Uh, <clears throat> my younger son performed in front of like five to six hundred people, and um, that terrifies the hell out of me. He loves it. Like he was, he obviously was just, a, uh, you know, it's it someone who has like the, who's nervous before a, a large performance like that. Um, they're going to be insufferable to be around. Right. He, at least as a kid, like he's just complaining all the time. Oh, I hate this. This is the worst. I'm so nervous. And you just have to focus on like getting him fed. And then when he gets out there, that dopamine hit, as you say, right, that comes over and, it is so, it is so gratifying to just help another human being, especially a tiny human being mm. that doesn't really know, you know, that's still figuring stuff out and you can help them out to achieve their goals. Um, that's a beautiful thing. So, so what I'm most excited about really is helping, uh, helping my family members also on with their goals. Mm. Uh, super rewarding thing so much fun yeah and probably i mean a thing that's available even if even if you are in a position where you have no family members there are people around you that can that can utilize your help and that your help could immensely impact their life experience so probably something that is available to all of us is this opportunity to really support support the people around us and that that only makes that only makes everyone's life better which is a fun thing so my excited yeah. is is it's also growing um and really well, probably the answer for everyone is expansion or growing in some way right like me i'm thinking about the literal things that i'm growing um those those things that I'm putting seeds into the ground and uh, yeah the, I I was um, I did a I did a thing the other day about a nine pound turnip a four pound radish and a three pound squash that I grew and as I was as I was just looking at the like the physical weight of a four pound like three foot long radish. And also like knowing the size of the seed that it came from and the amount of carbon that came into the world from this little tiny seed that now is four pounds of mass that will biodegrade back into the soil here. And uh, we got about two inches of rain over a 48 hour period. And um, because I'm, I'm, I'm in a place where the soil is essentially a significant portion of the soil is clay, a lot of that water tends to run off. So my, the property right next door to me, um, they ended up with this massive amount of water runoff. And I had no water runoff, which means that the, the roots that I put into the soil uh, have started to make an impact in how in how the the soil on my property is absorbing water, and that um, that, that's a nerdy thing to be excited about. But I'm super excited 
yeah. <clears throat> yeah, man. You're, yeah, you're sinking carbon. You're trapping water. That's a beautiful thing. You know? Yeah, all really important things. Yeah. Um, and I guess on the like, I'll, I'll carry that into to two things because I think one of the things that I noticed this year was that my grow times were significantly longer than than what would be expected per plant type. And as I thought about why that might be, I think it's very likely uh, that the reason for that is June and July were essentially sunblocked, meaning that the forest fires from California and Canada uh, blocked out the sun for about two months. And I started to realize that uh, other farmers, people growing things are gonna start to have uh, a lot of concern about the climate pretty quickly when they realize the direct impact that not having the sun shining down on, on their plants is going to cause on their, their pocketbooks, checkbooks. Because um, yeah, I'm, most, of my, most of what I planted is not even most, almost everything I planted is 30 to 60 days behind where it should be. And, um, I can't attribute, I, I, there's not, there's really nothing else I can, I can point the finger at other than the fact that we just had two months without having direct sunlight. Everything was diffused through, through a huge cloud of smoke. Um, and that's not even the thing that I'm most worried about. The thing that I'm most worried about right now is, uh, and, and you will have to tell me, you'll have to tell me if the news is um, talking about this at all, but I'm worried about the significant amount of pressure on the entire system. So um, I, did a, I did a thought experiment about a month ago now where I imagined what would have happened in March of 2020 if the people in the grocery stores, the employees at the grocery stores decided they weren't going to come in. They just said, no, we're not going to do it. And the only thing I can come to in that conclusion is um, we would have lost society because uh, when there's a shortage <clears throat> of food and water, I don't think people are going to play that nicely. And now I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm looking at supply chain shortages in, um, in my, in my business world, in my personal world, and realizing that essentially the entire chain of supply that has been getting goods to Americans, again, I, like I get it, it's, it's very egocentric, but America is the place where I live. So I just don't have the experience outside of America that uh, I should have, um, or maybe I shouldn't have, I don't know, it's hard to live in more than one place at the same time. But if we look at what the, the entire chain of, of, uh, necessi of, of necessary components to get goods to humans right now, that has been under full tension for almost two years now. And when I think about how long a human can go at full capacity, so if I'm like put in a space where I have to go uh, full capacity, for me, it's about a year and a half. So to me, we are like coming up on the point where humans start to break under the pressure of being under full tension uh, constantly. 
And if any part of the supply chain breaks down, we are in a situation where we don't have goods for humans. And I'm, I'm really concerned that every part of the chain has been under tension for two years. Uh, the likelihood that it breaks somewhere seems pretty high to me. So is there any news coverage of, is, is that a thing that, that the news is talking about in any way? Oh God, no. Okay. Um, no, that's far too <laughs> complex. That's, uh, that's, I mean, okay. A little bit, I'll say a little bit, um, okay. but, <clears throat> but I would say it's, you know, there, it's usually the stories are usually narrative driven and, and not very nuanced and you really don't, the news doesn't want to just scare people for no good reason at all. And they'd like to, they like to scare people to um, drive towards a certain outcome, but not for just no reason at all. And so, you know, people, you know, you're going to notice, Hey, the shelves don't quite have as much food as they did before. There's some empty holes in the shelves. Um, It gets back to that normalcy bias that we talked about previously, where you sort of learn to accept that. And you're like, well, okay, that's, that's just how it is now. But um, with, you know, with these systems, it's, it's not necessarily like it's going to just kind of linearly continue along like that. As you say, uh, you can have these, you can have a really fragile system with a lot of inner, you know, interdependent uh, systems and it can, it's like an exponential decay curve. It looks mostly flat and horizontal until it just sort of rounds off and and falls down off a cliff. And you don't really know. Um, We're certainly nearing that corner of the cliff, but you don't know what that means. Is that days, months, weeks, years? We don't really know what that is exactly time-wise. And it's not, you know, it's going to happen in in different locations in different ways. you know, we've talked to Bora before about like, well, get a deeper pantry, you know, stock mm-hmm. away some food and supplies. Um, in the, you know, in Russia. So today we have just in time inventory. We have just in time delivery for everything. Yeah. And during the rush, and that's, that's a problem. That's the problem for fragility. And, and during like the Russian collapse, you had a lot, you didn't have just in time delivery. So the businesses that could keep on running were the ones that just had a bunch of inventory laying around. Mm-hmm. So if you had a very inefficient kind of business, you got all this extra stuff laying around <laughs> before that was a real pain in the butt. But during mm-hmm. the collapse, oh my gosh, now all of a sudden that was a real godsend. That was mm-hmm. a huge, a huge help to yourself, your business, the community. Um, but, but here we don't have that. Uh, I can't grow really much of anything in Flagstaff unless I want to get really crazy with it. Um, so, and, and most people don't grow things. Obviously, Patrick, you know you're you're an outlier there, right? Um, in modern day America, and I, I suspect that that's done with a lot of intention, and it's it probably helps dial back any sort of baseline level of anxiety that a person would have just to know during these uh, sort of, yeah, fragile times here that you've got, you've got some kind of base of support. Uh, You've got some water, you know, you're figuring that out. You've got the food figured out. And so 
No, the news is not talking about this generally, though. They'll talk about how, well, there's a bunch of container ships that are held up in the Los Angeles port. And why can't they, you know, there's a big block that blockade there, um, or not a blockade, there's just so many ships. There's a big bottleneck there. Um, but but the larger story there of, well, why is it that we are importing everything from overseas? Why is it that we don't make anything or as much as we used to? Um, and why are we, you know, kind of like heroin addicts hooked on cheap products made overseas? Uh, that's not a discussion that, um, that happens in the news because that's far too uh, nuanced and doesn't really meet any particular aim um, that they would like to meet. <laughs> we haven't even talked about the the topic of this episode. I don't know if we want to continue to. <laughs> yeah. do, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to wait and see what the feedback is. We have a bit of a lag here. We have to see what the feedback is on that that Doomer episode we put out. And see if people <laughs> want more of that, or if we've lost everybody by now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's. A, I, I actually I spent a lot of time thinking about that because I do think. It is interesting, right? It's um, there. There is a level of like escapism that's important, I think, because if you spend all your time in an all-consuming space, worried about every possible outcome, uh, things are going to not be fun. So there is a level of escapism that I do think is important within pot within the podcasting space specifically, right? I know I'll I'll seek out escapism um, from from podcasts when I just need to tune my brain into a different frequency um and then there's also like this this uh if you have if you have something that may be beneficial or if you can receive something that may be beneficial for you and i think you know putting putting a couple putting a couple uh backup sets of whatever it is that is vitally important to you in your in your storage space might be might be worth it right now Worst case scenario, you have a couple of extra things about of things that are really important to you. Um, but yeah, so so this this week, the the one thing I know we're going to talk about is what do we need, right? The big question is what do we need? Is that is that a fair representation of the question you left us on? Absolutely, and and I, I think I had mentioned, you know, really the way that came about was I had, I had asked about what's the best way for people to get into, into your world and what you're doing with teaching it and classes and all of that, because beyond the necessities to keep, to keep your ass alive, <laughs> you're going to need something <laughs> more, right? Because, because uh, we, we don't live on bread alone. Um, yeah. And so, so that's from you and, and just also dig into that a bit because um as we go into these challenging times, um, if your mental game is not sorted out and yeah. if a lot of the more human aspects, the more emotional and human aspects aren't sorted out mm. and you don't have those pieces together, um, you could have all the, the guns and butter in the world, but um, you, still might, you still might crack up in a different sort of way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> that's the thing that uh, nobody ever really preps on, right? Is an interesting thing. It's like the the mental component of um, 
what you are, what would be experienced in a time of societal collapse, right? Everybody thinks, well, if I have my food and my guns, I'm good. But there's a there's a psychological uh, reality to being human, and if we're not protective of the like psychological framework, um, <laughs> you, not only is it not worth doing, but the the like breakdown that happens is is probably more devastating than anything you could you can even conceive of um so so, <laughs> so what the okay so let me let me rephrase this so i understand your question which is how does someone get get involved in 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 mental mental protection maybe where you know <sighs> we could take this in a number of different ways in a number of different directions. So if you have a place you want to take it, then take it there and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, I think that's a fun, broad place to start from is how, how we offer some level of protection for the brain. And one of the, one of the things that I think I'm honing in on is uh, the, the, the way in which we speak to ourselves from a perspective standpoint, meaning that um, if you are speaking to yourself exclusively or uh, when you are speaking to yourself in first person, because I know most people don't exclusively speak to themselves in first person, but when you are speaking to yourself in first person, you are reacting, you are creating um, an interaction with yourself that is vastly different than if you are speaking to yourself in third person, right? If, if you are saying, hey, I need to do this, um, or you are saying, Patrick, you need to do this, second or third person. Um, those, are, those are really different ways of communicating with yourself. So there is a different level of acknowledgement and responsibility when you are speaking to yourself in the first person, when you are saying, I am in this place. And there is a there's a different level of escapism or excusism when you are when you are calling yourself uh, by your name uh, or you or a nickname or some derogatory name that you've given yourself to speak to yourself within your brain. So one of the things that I've really been honing in on is um, how how we can get people to start thinking more in first person and. Uh, how that changes the way that the, the internal workings of a brain um, creates an external expression of the world. So, so let me just stop and pause there and just check in with you, Joel. Does that make any sense at all? Is there, is there any sense <clears throat> to you in like how different it is to speak first and third person or first, second and third person? Uh, no, I've never thought about this before. And what I think is interesting is that uh, you've talked before about how you don't have much of an inner dialogue and how yeah. your, your mental chatter is very quiet. Um, and my first reaction to this um, was that I thought you were going to talk about um, people's, you know, how people can tend to have negative inner dialogue. And um, it reminds me of a, of a meme that my, one of my kids showed me and uh, it says you win $50,000, but in order to receive it, the person that you hate most gets a hundred thousand dollars. And then the best reply to this was great. I get $150,000. <laughs> 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 
So anyways, please expand on this though, because I want to know this Jedi trick. Although I think, like probably I speak to myself in the first person, but like, tell me more about this. This is, this is pretty interesting. Okay. So two things. I just saw that meme, but I saw it with, I get $3 million and the person I hate most gets $10 million. And my initial react, my only reaction was great. I don't care if somebody else has more money than me. That sounds, that sounds, I get free $3 million. Sign me up for that deal. Um, Okay. So, so I'm starting to theorize it's, so it's, this is an interesting thing. We've never talked about this. Um, So most people, essentially everyone that I've asked the question to speaks to themselves semi, semi frequently in first person, more often than not in second or third person. Um, My, my, my uh, thinking on this is, is, is just starting to formulate, but I do think that when you are speaking to yourself in first person, when you, are, when you are acknowledging and accepting that you are the one who has done these things, even criticism that you offer yourself, uh, like you can't, there's, there isn't, there's nothing derogatory in saying, I screwed that up. I, I, I did this wrong. Right. There is just an acknowledgement and an understanding. But if you if you take yourself into if I say and I don't even like so I had never had a uh, I don't think I'd ever had a second or third person thought cycle through my brain until I had this conversation. Um, I think with Brian, we we're playing disc golf and then I, I, I threw a bad shot and just as like a way to try it out, I was like. I can't believe you did that, Patrick. And um, then I started to get these, like these, this, this thought pattern where I would be referencing myself as my name. And I just did not, I did not like it. So like just allowing the thought into my brain that it is possible to think of myself in a second or third person uh, started to seep in. And I, I had to like form walls around it to protect it. I think when you're speaking to yourself in first person, you can only appreciate what has actually happened. You, you can't really come up with, uh, you can't say you. So the moment you say you, we're out of first person, we're in a second. Um, so you can't, you can't really come up with a criticism other than what, what you have or haven't done. And if you are working with the, with the things that you have or haven't done, then I, I don't really view those as, even, even if you were thinking negatively, that just means that something went wrong in your life, right? Which things are going to go wrong in your life. But once you start applying this you terminology, then it's like you are pushing the blame onto someone else. And then, and then some people will come up, like a lot of people that I have this conversation with, come up with uh, derogatory nicknames that they reference themselves as within their inner dialogue. So it's like you piece of blank. Um, and then we're, we're into like a really different conversation that you're having with yourself. So if you take out second and third person conversations that you're having about yourself within yourself, and you only have first person conversations about who you actually are and what you've actually done, I think that the way you interact with your brain is vastly different. Um, if you are speaking about what is and what isn't, as opposed to uh, 
whatever whatever negative uh, connotations you might dream up about the piece of blank that you are. I wonder if, first of all, I'd get $13 million. That's awesome. But I wonder if, <laughs> um, you know, I, I wonder if that second and third person thing, if it's almost like your, it seems like it's linked to maybe childhood and you're, you're talking to yourself in the way that you would hear your parents scold you, right? And so you're recreating that and embedding that uh, into some thought loops, right? So, yeah. because that's where, you know, as a child, that's where you're getting all your feedback. So maybe it, maybe it stems from that. Um, yeah. I think there's, a, there's definitely something to that because I know a lot, there's, a, there are, they're very common. There are very similar threads uh, where people do reference like ideas that they've heard as children repeating, repeating back in their brain as adults. Um, yeah. And I, I try, I've spent a lot of time thinking about how uh, my brain started down this first person path. And I, I, I go back, I, you know, childhood, I think, definitely plays a role. I think as you've called out earlier, there, uh, uh, there's just a primitiveness to, um, to the way, to the way that, that, that functionality, right. There's, there's like a simplistic primitiveness to only thinking, uh, as, as an individualistic being, um, uh, so I think there's some level of just like not being all that sophisticated that helps in that process that makes that process really easy for my brain. Um, but I also think it's something that can't like, I, I think it can be trained in a way as well, because I do think I know when I started to get this second person uh, ideology creeping in, I, I could feel it. I could feel it that it wasn't really me. And I, and I, also that I didn't want it. So I think you can train these, train these ideas too. Um, so, so yeah, is it, I, tell me. Is it, a, is it like a difference in how it is you're viewing the adoption of responsibility and what it is you need to get done in your life? Is that what you're picking out with this? Like if you're, if you're referring to yourself in second or third person, maybe you're just, you know, internally whipping yourself, but you're, you're maybe not, you're doing it just for the, the sheer pleasure of, of a, like self-hatred, but not, yeah. not actually doing it in a way that helps you get anything done. Is that where you're, is that where this is going? So is that, is that what you've kind of gleaned so that's from what this? I think I'm honing in on what I think I'm honing yeah. in on is second and third person. Um, there's a dopamine response, right. In, in there just is there's even the self whipping, right. The, like the, the self torment, there's a component where there, it like kicks up some chemical response in you that makes you want to do it. But it also offers you an excuse, right? You all you also have put an excuse into your cognitive function that says like, you can't do this because you're a piece of blank, and um, yeah, like if you if you never think if you never think that way, there there is there is still failure, but there is no excuse that is outside of who you are, right? Like you have to take responsibility if you're like I'm going to do this. And then you do this thing and it turns out to be a complete disaster. Uh, if I say, oh, 
Patrick, you screwed that up. That's like, that's like me referencing another being and saying like that other being screwed this thing up, but that, but no other being screwed the thing up. I screwed the thing up. Like I did the thing wrong. I started a project. It was a complete failure. And if I just take that on and I just, you know, Hey, I screwed that up. That wasn't a failure. It's, or it was a failure. It's really easy to move on. Right. Cause I don't, I don't have this, like, uh, I haven't put it in a capsule that's like pushed off to another side. That's just waiting to come back on me. I've just said, yeah, I, I effed up. This is, this didn't work out. And then I'm done with it. Like I'm done with it. Cause I've completely accepted that I screwed this up. It was a hundred percent me and I'm done. So th this gets back to something. If you go back to what happened before you were uh, whipping yourself for screwing up, yeah. what it gets to is something that's really important that people need, which is that they do need an ideal. They need a goal. They need a target. Uh, and they need some growth, right? And and in some way that they can envision some little corner of the world sucking less being better yeah. because of something they did um and that is certainly something that people need um and and i think what's been ingrained in us for a long time culturally is that responsibility is um a shackle and it's limiting and it's a drag but really it is freedom if you don't even have freedom to have some kind of uh, control and, and you know control over your own domain. Then what do you have? Uh, and so, so thinking about that intentionally and thinking about what you would like to do and how you could move towards that is something that we all need. And especially if you are just tuning into the headlines and you're feeling helpless and you're waiting for someone else to like make make things better yeah <laughs> like yeah. that's that is not happening um my gosh so yeah and and even if even if that is what happens uh, whatever you still need to be in control of things you're, you're going to you're going to be happier if you do that um but the ideals the ideals today because we've talked a lot about in previous episodes about like how important that is to have a goal and to grow. But the ideals today are just uh, at the surface level are just so terrible that are, that are out there. Um, you know, there's some, there's some TV show. I don't, I don't even know the name of it, but I'm just, I have enough awareness to know that it's out there. I think it's Korean and it's about, a bunch of people who it's just fiction. It's, a, you know, some dystopian story, a bunch of people who are in a lot of financial debt and then they're brought in to be part of essentially this game show. And if you lose and you don't get closer to winning the money, that's going to save you, then you die. And so it's mm. like, these are the ideals that are just so, they're so coarse, right? They're so simplistic. And, and, and so you got to serve somebody, right? Just like some, I think it was in his later career, but Bob Dylan had a song where he, you know, he says, you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. And you just think about how everyone is just chasing, not everyone, but 
it's so easy to buy into uh, the culture's idea of what your goals should be and what you should be chasing. Um, and the reason why they put those ideals out there of going for the Lambo or whatever is because it serves their purpose. It serves their needs, not yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so unpacking that a bit and being intentional about what it is that you actually do need is so vital. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and really being clear about your needs. Um, right. Because the reality is a Lamborghini might look like really shiny and beautiful, but it is definitely, it is not within anyone's needs. There's, there's not a need for a Lamborghini. There may be, there may, you may be able to come up with something if you get real creative. Man, a pickup truck though. I mean, you can't like how many bales of hay can you move with a Lambo? Like you can't like <laughs> if sure. stuff goes, if stuff goes Mad Max, you're going to want something with more clearance and more towing capacity and more carrying capacity. So get a crappy old pickup truck. <laughs> get a crappy old trick pickup truck, convert it to natural gas, get an 800 go. gallon tank, put it in the bed. You're going to be able to drive much longer than anybody else. <laughs> I like this. I'm taking notes. I like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so I, I, I think that that like the clarity of needs is another thing that is, that is really um, valuable, right? Is, is, can you, can you separate out the things you want from the things you need? And I, I used to do this thing when I would do uh, my, my body composition challenges which was just remind people that if you can walk to your, to your uh, refrigerator, open the doors, look inside and, and see that nothing looks good, then you're not hungry. You're having a craving. And um, that we can do like, we could do very similar things with tangible goods, right? It's like, can, can you look around your house at like all the billions of things you've bought and put in and if none of those things like excite you, then then you don't really have a you you don't really have a need for for them, but also for new things, right? You just you have enough stuff. You're just looking for the for the new shiny instantaneous craving filler. So um, that like the, the ability to separate the ability to separate those two ideas, it, it's pretty easy with food, but it's it's harder with tangible goods. Because whatever, you see a new electric kettle and you're like, well, shoot, like, it takes me 10 minutes to boil water, but I could do it in a minute and 30 seconds with an electric kettle. That's pretty good. I think it, go, it goes back to like the opposable thumb and our brains. I mean, we like product fetishism is just so real and it's yeah. everywhere. People love things that are hard to come by and that's you know somehow fit into their story i mean a lot of this is just because we have so much surplus in the world i mean you see some of the crazy things that people will pay money for um and and just stupid money for it's just because there's so much money in the system right now but i mean what what we have what we lack right now and i think what we need God, the arrogance of giving advice just cracks me up right now. So I'll put that disclaimer out there, right? <laughs> it's like we have this disconnect with like re- with reality that I think is pretty strong. And, and there needs to be some kind of like reunication with the reality of productive work, 
Like there are so many people that have a BS job and they know they do and it makes them feel um, not so great. And then they're sure. trying to figure out, well, what do I do? Um, and the fact is, is that there's just so many things out there that you can do for a living um, that have not a whole lot to do with, with reality in a sense. Right. Um, And, and part of this is just because we live in such a time of abundance, but we also have such a, a confused or misaligned sort of value system, a value system that is more aligned with um, just productivity for the sake of productivity and growth for the sake of growth, as opposed to any kind of uh, humanness, I suppose. And um, it's making, I think it is, you can see the cracks where it is making people crazy because they know that they're living in a, in a dishonest culture and a dis, a dishonest society to some degree. Um, yeah. And and so then you have to find the others. I think that's why people are finding you. Okay, so pretty interesting, pretty pretty on point with um, what's going on in my real life right now, which is always which is always fun. Uh, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about a community, um, and I, I so 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 the yoga studio called Vitality had this really really um, amazing. Uh, community. And I've been thinking a lot about that community specifically in um, how, how like impactful it is to me. And I still get together. There's like a, a cycling group of about 40 people who get together and practice yoga on Sundays and Mondays online. And um, I just got a note from somebody who, who was a member of Vitality, who was telling me, you know, like they're, they've been looking for, to find a community that was like the Vitality community since it closed. And they, they've really struggled at doing that. And, and she said, you know, you're the best at creating community. And I, I, uh, I'm not the best. I, I'm I'm not the best at creating community. What happens, uh, or what can happen in a in a community? I think is someone and and hmm. <laughs> there's a, there's a, <laughs> someone has to be. There has to be someone who is a, an encapsulation of enough energy and force to start something. Right, that has to happen for a community to be built. But once someone has create has like expended their energy and force into creating the spark, the the people that the people that uh, gather bring their own energy, and that energy attracts other other people. And um, so what I what I told her is, you know, I'm like this is nothing to do with me. It is it is you are the one who created this community, right? You brought energy, and that energy attracted other other like energy like you, and then you guys all got together and made this really, really beautiful thing. Um, and there was a specialness to that community that I think about because as I put myself in other, in other places that have uh, seemingly like, seemingly uh, like-minded beings that would be attracted to it. They're just, they're not, it's not the same group. And um 
part of that, I think, is individualistic and uh, egocentric in that vitality was a creation of my brain, uh, a reflection of my being. The, every single word that was on the website was was written by me. Every single graphic was designed by me. Every single photo was taken by me. And therefore, the people that were attracted to that were, were similar uh, to me in a way, right? They were attracted to something that was within me. And that made that group really, really special to me. But it's, it's really nice to hear that it was also special to other people because I get so much joy just thinking about this group all the time. So I think there's, there's like a bunch of, there's a bunch of things in that. One is if you want to create a community, like you do have to, I think, if you want to create a community, you have to be willing to put the energy in to making it happen. And I also think, so I, I keep, this idea keeps coming up because it's something that I think about a lot, which is like, if you could create a communal, a communal living space, right? Every single communal living space and whatever word, whatever word I'm looking for here is, is not, it's not popping up, but um, if you, every single one gets corrupted, right? It's, it's very similar to gurus is that there is, there's a requirement of force and energy that is that to start these things, they get corrupted because nobody ever turns over the power back to the group, right? The person who puts in the time and energy and effort and probably financial resources is like, I did this, like I created this thing and now I should reap the rewards. But the reality is the reward is um, the reward is the community. The reward is the community. So I, I think about this in the, in the cult world, whatever, like how, how you could legislate Osho's, uh, camp in Montana. <laughs> Was it Montana? It might've been Washington, Oregon? Oregon, 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 Oregon. Yeah. Um, I, I always think about like, cause there are so many people that loved him and loved that experience. And even as he drove 17 Rolls Royces, they still like thought that his decision-making was infallible. So um, I always think about what would happen if you got someone who was willing to put in that much energy and then also legislate out any corruption ideas like start this thing and put it in and get it to where it is immaculate and beautiful. And then instead of uh, feeding off the power, just walk away, just um, write down some rules on a piece of paper and say, here's the guidelines. I'm just one of you now. Oh, it would fail. <laughs> for, like Eventually. for very, re it would fail quickly. So here's, well, maybe not. Um, here, okay. Hey, America's taken several hundred years. What I'm thinking, yeah. What what the what I'm thinking about is the way that you the way that you bring the people in and who you're attracting is very important. And when you're, if you're a strong figurehead, you're the guru of a group. The people that you're attracting, like, uh, and I'm talking about like cult level stuff, right? Not not what you put together here, but like someone who's a real cult leader. Uh, um, they're they're attracting every single person that they're attracting self-identifies as being incomplete and needing something from this other person and from this group 
And so I think that kind of community is a hard thing to keep going unless you do have the, the king essentially mm. at the top. Um, and so the, the problem is, is you, there's this impulse to put that together because we lack, we lack an authentic community mm. um, and, and, and a, a like self-emerging community. And those went away with the advent of the suburbs. Those went away when we were able to have a BS job that wasn't really linked to productive living and, and doing something real, like, you know, digging potatoes out of the ground. And my gosh, I'm glad I don't have to dig any potatoes out of the ground <laughs> for a living. Um, that being said, though, the price you pay for that, it seems, is at least with how things are organized now, is that you are divorced somewhat from um, the real foundation of like life and, and, and what keeps us alive. And so you no longer have a small village where you've got a baker and you've got the farmers and you've got the blacksmith, right? Like that is what, it, it's like we have this yearning to get back to that. We know we've lost something in a way and we're trying to create a synthetic version of that. And that can be a hard thing to do because what you really need is a bunch of people who are selfishly interested in their own betterment, but know that they have all these people around them that also have things that they need. And so it's an interlocking community, but we don't have that. So now we're struggling to try to cobble something together and then, you know, come up with rules and maybe this will work. Uh, but maybe, maybe I'm just too cynical about that, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's something that we've lost. We've lost this sort of authentic way of re of relating to reality. And hmm. now we're trying to figure out, well, how do we, how do we get that back? And it may be that we get that back because things, you know, decay to such a degree that we don't have a choice. Hmm. That may be where the authentic community comes from. It's yeah. not some kumbaya thing. It's, um, yeah, it's more of like, how do you keep the, how do you keep the wolves at bay? And you have to, um, work together with those in your community to make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. Did I totally burst your bubble there, man? <laughs> no, I think it's a, I think it's an interesting, um, so I, I, I look at, uh, I look at the way that the, and we talked about this maybe last week, the, the framers of the American political system, uh, and, and they're amazing foresight right i think if you had a if you had a collection of people who were focused on um legislating out corruption um and that was their that was their goal i i so no system no system can withstand corruption forever right we get a we get money and power involved and and it, it things have proven that that corruption is the, the more powerful being but um I do still think that there's a way. I, I don't think that there's a likely possibility because I, I see, so I think 
the, the biggest problem is more likely the fact that anyone who's willing to put in that much energy, right? Like anyone who has that much drive and desire within them is very, a very unlikely to then be like, yeah, I did this thing. I'm good. And I'll just walk away. Um, so, so I think maybe, maybe there's, maybe there's, bigger problems than I ever imagined, right? If I, if I take into consideration, if I take into consideration your problems of the systemic just fallacy of, of it working, um, maybe there's an even bigger problem than the unlikelihood of someone being willing to put in the time and energy and then walk away. Um, so, so that might be a pretty good fantasy. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's a it's a worthy goal, right? Um, but it seems like when things self-organize, it has a it's much more resilient. And when yeah. there's just one figurehead um, trying to organize it, I mean, it's hard to. I don't know. I I I'm certainly I know I'm not smart enough to figure that out. Like especially with the the whole human all the different kind of human personalities and what you're attracting when you try to build something like that. Okay. Um, so let me, let me offer then. So I think, I think I, I think I have a great, a great couple counterpoints here. Yeah, right. So, so tell me how to tell me how we build the utopia. No, no, no. I don't think we can do that, <laughs> but I, <laughs> well, that's not, I mean, why not? We could, we could, we definitely have the resources. We definitely have the capability like we have all the all the ingredients for building utopia. I think that's a very important thing. We the, all the ingredients are readily accessible to the human race right now. Um, but here's what I will say about about uh, self organized versus um, constructed. Right, is we can look at every every single organized religion, and they have all very successfully maintained a societal function for thousands of years now. So, so there has been, there is a, uh, there is a thread that can hold these groups together. The communicated acceptance of the supernatural is a, uh, that's a very powerful thread. It's a very powerful thread when we, when you start, hmm. When you start tying things together, uh, and, yeah. and people people start communicating acceptance of things that are beyond perception, you start to create fractions, factions, and fractions within society that are bound together um, at supernatural strengths. And what, as I say that, I, I start to get more terrified uh, with the realization that we are we are definitely experiencing a new fractioning and new faction within society based upon things that cannot be um, based upon the communicated acceptance of supernatural belief. And that is probably something for an episode that isn't this one, Joel, because that is a, that is a pretty deep conversation um, that is definitely more gloom and doomy when I when I start running those those simulations out in my head. I start I, I start to have some pretty good worries. So um, 
any any bows that we can put on on this conversation today to wrap things up? Yeah, well, what what do people need? That that was the working title for this. I mean, I think what we what people need that we're missing are probably values that are invisible to the culture. Yeah. Right. This is what you're pointing at. Um, You can't sell a lot of gadgets with the idea of transcendence. Yeah. (laughs) That is definitely true. Although, although I will say there's a lot of companies starting to get into that now, right? Like, vibrating meditation pillows are a thing that keeps popping up on my Instagram feed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I think, I I think that is kind of the thing, right? Is the reality of the things that we need are there. They are less tangible than we might imagine. They are, we are, we are certainly less tangible than capitalism wants us to believe. Um, the things that we need are pretty hard to buy aside from food, right? Aside from shelter, which, which are things that we've made into things we need to buy, right? Because we, we roll back the clock 120 years and, uh, people were getting together as a community, erecting a house for a newlywed couple in two days. And uh, people were, were moving into that place, planting a garden and um, doing their thing. So, so the things we need may be, may be less consumable than, we, than we've, we've imagined them to be in our, in our, in our current world. And that, that's, yeah. a, that's something to think about over the course of the next couple of weeks. You know, you certainly need that, that community and, and to get back to your aspirations, I think, or I don't know, interests. We've talked. I think we talked about this before about how the Mormons yeah. were more successful than anybody else at creating cities and towns. Yeah. And the reason was is because they had a blueprint, and they would figure out how much land they needed for a given a particular site, how much land they needed to dedicate towards growing crops what buildings were first to put in, what were the first skill sets that people needed to have. So you have to, if you're going to just instantly create a town, you've got to have a blacksmith, you've got to have, you know, the farmer, the, the whatever, you need all those interlocking parts. And so, but, but the, they did that for, they took care of all those mundane practical things to support something that was larger, something that was, it was invisible. Mm. Yeah. Right back to the invisible path. <laughs> okay. Joel, thank you so much. Um, we'll do this again. We'll be, we'll be back with you guys in 10 days. Check out the YouTube. Press the like button on the YouTube. Uh, subscribe to that thing. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Thank you. And one, okay, one thing for the post show here. Anybody, I'm, I'm working on another concept here. Uh, starting to see some interesting things developing in people's physical extremities post, post experience with COVID. 
which is disc like disc pain in your back, uh, musculature tendon insertion pain at joints, and joint swelling. And I'm trying to get some feedback on how uh, widespread that is. So if if you have experienced something and in discomfort in the physical body that you are kind of writing off as, oh, I'm just getting old. Um, think back to if uh, if that makes sense. I, I'm I, I'm I'm starting to I'm starting to pick up some patterns here that I want to dig into. So if you're experiencing that, send me a note. Let's chat.